You're listening to Better Than Before Breast Cancer with the Breast Cancer Recovery Coach. I'm your host, Laura Lummer. I'm a certified life coach, and I'm a breast cancer thriver. In this podcast, I will give you the skills and the insights and the tools to move past the emotional and physical trauma of a breast cancer diagnosis. If you're looking for a way to create a life that's even better than before breast cancer, you've come to the right place. Let's get started. Hello, friends. You're listening to episode 322, and I'm your host, Laura Lummer. And this is our Tuesday Terrain Talk, which is one of my favorite things to do. I have a lot of favorite things in my business, actually. I love what I do. But I love talking about how we do the things to support the health of our body. And most of our minds go straight to food when we think about that. And that's okay, because food's an important part of our life. And I really don't like the fact that we've complicated food so much. You know, food, diet, diet resources, it's a billion dollar industry. And a lot of that industry is driven by fear and shame. And I think that's really unfortunate because to me, food should be simple and delicious and enjoyable and beautiful. But it's been, it's become this overwhelming, confusing thing because we science has gotten involved in it, which is cool because I love the science behind nutrition. But at the same time, while I think it's cool, science also looks at things in silos and separates things out. And then people who are selling diet programs and nutrition programs, it's a big noisy world of people who are marketing these products. Some are great and super helpful. I'm not bashing any of them, but in a noisy online world with a lot of people promoting these things, one of the things that they use to get attention is to create fear right? To bring out certain aspects of diet and nutrition that create fear so that when people read something and they think, oh, that's scary, then they click on it, right? And it's just a part of marketing. It's part of psychology. It's how people's minds work. And I get that. I like to hope, being an online entrepreneur myself, that I don't use fear to get people to click. I hope that I use empathy and and connection and education and information because I think that the best antidote to fear is information. And today I want to talk about something that is used really, it's, it's one of those fear tactics. It's one of those things that is looked at in a silo and I don't think it should be. And I want to tell you the whole story about this because I think when you have the whole story, you can make better choices for yourself. All right. Today we're going to talk about something called oxalates. And we're going to talk about them because I have been getting a lot of questions about oxalates lately. and. If I get five, six, seven people asking me a question about it, I know there's a lot more of you out there who are seeing it or wondering about it or avoiding it because it sounds scary, okay? So I wanna talk to you about it so you have information on what this is and you understand the truth of it. Because one of the other philosophies that I don't agree with when it comes to food is extremism. Now you might be saying, you're follow a ketogenic diet, isn't that extreme? I am my own population, right? I am my own clinical study, and I am in an active disease process. And so would I choose to do the things I do if I didn't have an active cancering process in my body? Probably not as strict as I do because what I do sometimes is challenging and it takes a lot of energy and effort. 
but I do it for a specific therapeutic reason, okay? But I don't overall believe in extremism. Even though I've played with extremism, I've been a vegan at times in my life. I've never gone as far as being a just a carnivore and just eating nothing but meat, you know, but I just think that when it comes to diet, again, it should be lovely. We should have a wonderful, healthy relationship with food because food is this connection between us and the planet we live on. The planet we live on produces food for us. And the more we can be connected to that food and the animals that use that food for them to grow into healthy states and be nourishing for us, then the more connected we are with our biorhythms, our circadian rhythms, the seasons, everything in the world. So I look at food as a beautiful thing. I love to cook. I love to touch food. I love the colors of food. And I just enjoy everything about it, really, even eating it. So I want to talk about, and when we talk about colors and textures, something that pops into my mind is vegetables. I love to cook vegetables because they're so beautiful and there's so many combinations of them. And some time ago, I posted something on Facebook. It's probably been several months now. And it was a just a post about eating foods that are cruciferous vegetables because of the benefits we get from cruciferous vegetables. And someone posted this response to that post. I don't remember verbatim what it said, but it was something like, ah, oh, oxalates, you know, with like a scary face on it. And I just kind of, can I just say heavy sigh? Oh, geez, here we go again with the scare tactics. So let's talk about what oxalates are, why they exist in the world, and whether or not we really need to be afraid of them. All right. I don't think so, but you let me know what you think. So oxalates are organic compounds and they're found in many plant foods, including vegetables, fruits, nuts, seeds, and grains. I think sometimes people, when we think about plant foods, we just go to vegetables and fruits, but nuts, seeds, and grains, these are all plants. If it wasn't born, if it wasn't given birth to, then it's a plant, right? If it's a food, unless it's something processed, then it's some weird chemical. But anyway, Oxalates are a natural part of a plant's metabolism, and they are found in different concentrations in all kinds of different plant foods. And when we eat foods that have oxalates in them, oxalates can bind with minerals in our gut like calcium. And they form what's called, when, they, when oxalates bind with calcium, they form what's called calcium oxalate. And calcium oxalate is excreted in our urine. We pee it out. This is a normal process. Some foods have high levels of oxalates in them. And because of that, they can contribute to issues for people who have sensitivities. Okay, so let me tell you, I'm going to go into that in a second. I want to tell you why, why do plants have oxalates in them? So oxalates are basically a defense mechanism for plants, among other things. But an oxalate can kind of put off animals from eating them because these oxalates can bind to calcium in the bodies of animals and they form these oxalate crystals and these crystals can be irritating to the digestive tract of many herbivores and, and anyone who eats plants. And if they're sensitive to them and they create enough of uh, irritation in the digestive tract, they can also create health issues. And what does that do? It causes the animal to want to eat less of that plant. 
So it's a protective mechanism and it helps plants to ensure the survival of their species, which is just the beauty of nature and the intelligence of nature, right? But oxalates also do something else in plants. They bind to other metals in the soil. So metal ions in the soil like calcium, magnesium, iron. And as they bind to these ions, it helps the plant to manage the levels of metals that are actually in the tissue of the plant. And this is important as its innate intelligence to support the growth and the development of the plant. And in some plants, this binding of these ions to oxalates can actually prevent the absorption of toxic metals into the plant. So therefore it protects the plants of toxic things that could be in the soil. And these oxalates play a role inside the plant of regulating the internal calcium levels of the plant. So it's pretty cool. So as many things in life, in the world, in nature, oxalates have a dual nature. They have benefits and they have drawbacks and things that we as humans who like to eat plants, who should be eating plants, need to consider. So as I said a minute ago, oxalates vary. The amount of oxalates in a food varies. So we've got oxalate foods that are considered high oxalate, moderate oxalate, and low oxalate. And you don't have to remember all the stuff I'm going to talk about here because I've created a guide for you that's all about understanding and managing oxalates in your diet. And in this guide, you're going to find some information. I'll give you what I'm about to tell you right now. What are the criteria for low, moderate, and high oxalate foods. I'll give you lists of those foods. I will give you the directions and ideas on how to reduce the amount of oxalates in foods you cook and remind you who is sensitive to that and how you can balance your diet with these foods. And I'll even give you some meal ideas. And in a minute, I'm gonna talk about the genetic interplay with oxalates and with your digestion. And because that's a little too high science for a lot of people, I, in the guide that I created, I put some genetics that have an influence on oxalates in our body. So you can download that at thebreastcancerrecoverycoach.com forward slash OX, ox, okay? You can get that. It's a really informative guide. I think it'll help you out a lot so that way you don't have to worry about what you're listening here and making, listening to here and you don't have to make any notes on it. So let's talk about what the criteria is for low, moderate, and high oxalate foods. So low oxalate foods mean that this food typically contains less than two milligrams of oxalates per serving. I'm gonna say typically because Let's say that it's an apple. Well, depending on the kind of apple, the season that the apple was grown in, the soil the apple was grown in, the way you cooked the apple or if you're eating the apple raw, it's going to have a different amount of oxalates in it. So generally speaking, we're talking about just the raw food itself. And again, that's going to vary depending on where it was grown, the climate it was grown in, the season, all that stuff. But generally, a low oxalate food is going to have less than two milligrams of oxalates per serving. And again, I put a list of some of those foods in the guide and also a link to connect you to a full-on comprehensive guide of foods that contain oxalates. And you can sort through that from medium to high oxalates, and it's pretty fascinating to play with. So moderate oxalate foods are any foods that contain between two and 10 milligrams of oxalates per serving. And high oxalate foods are considered foods that have 10 or more milligrams per serving. And just to give you an example on some really high oxalate foods, we've got things like black and white pepper. Yeah, black pepper has 
3,400 milligrams of oxalates in it per serving, which is 100 grams. We've got things like poppy seed, 1,620 milligrams per 100 grams, and tea. I think a lot of times people don't think about tea as a plant food, but tea is leaves and leaves come from plants. And teas can, obviously there's a ton of different kinds of teas. So there's a range of like 375 to over 1400 milligrams of oxalates per 100 grams of fresh, like loose leaf tea. It's quite a lot, right? So there's a big variety. If we want to talk about things that have zero grams of oxalates, a half a cup of alfalfa sprouts, no oxalates. Apricots, no oxalates. Bacon, crab, no oxalates. Barley malt flour has no oxalates. Butter, cheddar cheese, and chicken, no oxalates. So we can kind of see where this is headed, right? And kind of see how we can construct our diet to have a moderate amount of oxalates in it. But I'm going to go more into that definitely for you here in a sec. So let's talk about what is the problem with it. Why is it a problem if we have high oxalates? And why is there so much information out there that's kind of, in my opinion, a little fear-mongering when it comes around oxalates? Most people will not have a problem with oxalates because in all honesty, friends, most people don't even eat enough plant foods to be considered a healthy diet. And this is something that it kind of blows my mind because this is the way that our mind plays with us. If you hear this is a dangerous thing in plants, like for instance, I told you about the Facebook post. I post this on Facebook and someone posts, oh, oxalates and like some scary thing about it. Well, people read that. They don't understand what it means, why it's a problem, but we go with the headline of, well, oxalates are scary and oxalates must be bad for you. So there's a reason why I shouldn't eat more broccoli. And I would really like us to get away from that way of thinking, right? We can use this partial information that's really, again, a scare tactic, and it can undermine a healthy lifestyle. Most people that I encounter, that I know in my life, and even that I work with, barely eat two or three servings of vegetables on a regular basis. Those people, unless they have some kind of a problem, which I'll talk about here in a sec, really don't have to worry about high oxalates becoming a problem because you don't eat enough fresh food for it to be a problem, okay? But where it becomes a problem is if someone has a predisposition, is more likely to get kidney stones because those oxalates, as I said, bind with calcium and most kidney stones, the most common type of kidney stone is a calcium oxalate kidney stone, okay? So if people have a strong disposition to get kidney stones, then they're really going to want to monitor, not eliminate plant foods, but unless a doctor recommends that they eliminate plant foods, but for the most part, moderate and balance their diet so that they are more focused on low oxalate foods, but still getting fresh fruits and vegetables into their diet so that they get the range of nutrition that comes from that. All right. So most people are not prone to getting kidney stones, but if you are, then you want to be mindful of your intake of oxalates. As I said already, oxalates combine to minerals. So calcium is a big one. I'll talk about that in a sec. Magnesium also is something that binds to oxalates. And so when that happens, it can reduce the amount of these minerals that you absorb. So if you don't have a healthy diet, 
with lots of good whole foods in it and you're not getting all the minerals you need and then you're eating high oxalate foods that bind to those minerals anyway, that could result in a mineral deficiency. But again, this is usually only a concern with people who have very high oxalate intakes or some kind of a health condition that makes them prone to sensitivities around oxalates. And what that is, it's some people do have this sensitivity. And how will you know if you have a sensitivity to oxalates? Because you're going to feel like shit. You're going to have hives, swelling. It's like an allergic reaction, right? Difficulty breathing when you eat high oxalate foods. This is a pretty rare thing, but it's out there and it happens and we should be aware of that. If you're somebody who has lots of allergies or autoimmune conditions, maybe you notice when you eat high oxalate foods that you don't feel so good. Maybe it contributes to inflammation. These are the things we wanna be mindful of. Not just eliminating all vegetables because there's lots of oh, low oxalate vegetables. And because again, mother nature is so smart and nature is very balanced. We come back to this idea of siloing and we talk about foods like spinach as, oh my God, this is a high oxalate food. We need to stay away from spinach. But one of the beautiful things that nature has done with so many foods is that foods don't have just one nutrient in them. Foods don't have just one compound in them and that's it. And then if you eat it, you get way too much, right? So spinach, I used it as an example because spinach is a high oxalate food, but spinach is also a high calcium food. So in a cup of spinach, you get around, and again, these are all approximations, but let's say for 100 grams or a cup of spinach, raw spinach, you get from 750 to 800 milligrams of oxalates but you also get around 245 milligrams of calcium. And although a lot of people do eat spinach raw in a salad, but when you cook spinach, you throw it in some hot water, you wilt it, you get it tender, that also is going to reduce the amount of oxalates because water will absorb the oxalates that are in spinach. And studies that have looked at spinach have shown that when it's boiled, it can reduce the oxalate content by 40 to 50% and sometimes even more than that. So again, let's take a look at the big picture. And we look at something like spinach and say, okay, that sounds like a super high oxalate food, but we have to think of it in balance of, oh, a lot of that oxalate is going to bind to the calcium that's already in the spinach. And the way that you prepare the spinach is going to reduce that oxalate. And then what you eat with the spinach, and one of my favorite dishes is creamed spinach. So think about eating a dish of creamed spinach. You've got the plant that already has calcium in it that's going to bind to some of those oxalates. And you're going to put cream in it and usually some kind of cheese like Parmesan cheese or something like that. And dairy has calcium. So then that is also going to bind to some of those oxalates. So we end up having oxalates that we're going to pee out because they become these crystals that we pee out of our body and that we bind to the other calcium that's inside of that food. And then when we add calcium rich foods with that, we get the benefits of all the good stuff that's in the spinach. Plus we can increase the calcium intake at the same time. So we're not having any kind of a deficiency and we're not having enough oxalates that's going to take calcium from our own body. And that's a concern. 
right? Because what about people like us, breast cancer survivors who are doing things like taking aromatase inhibitors and have gone through lots of treatments that affect our bones? Well, we need to be mindful of our vitamin D intake and that we're taking good, healthy amounts of vitamin D plus K2 to draw calcium into the bones. We need to be mindful that we're eating calcium-rich foods and that when we have lots of veggies in our diet, that we're balancing those vegetables with high, moderate, and low oxalate veggies and lots of high calcium-containing foods. When we do that, that's what's called a balanced diet, right? And it's not that hard to do. But when we do things to the extreme, like for instance, green juicing. So if you're somebody who drinks a lot of green juice on a really consistent basis, you are concentrating oxalates because there's no cooking happening. So we're taking these raw vegetables and reducing the vegetable most juicers, now some of the masticating ones used to get a lot of fiber in them, but many juicers extract just that juice out and leave the fiber behind. So we're leaving parts of the plant that were made to be consumed as a whole because when we consume them as a whole, it does its job properly. But when you take parts out, just like when we take oxalate out of the plant and just say, oh God, plants have oxalate, then we're looking at a whole different picture. But if you are someone who eats lots of high oxalate foods and further condenses those by doing something like green juicing, you could be more susceptible to having an intolerance or creating an intolerance or a sensitivity to oxalates. And that can end up causing some digestive discomfort. But once again, it doesn't happen that often. You probably know, and you may be someone who loves their morning green juice, and you may feel fantastic when you drink it, and you may feel like you have more energy when you drink it, and you may really need those nutrients in it because you may not be sensitive to oxalates. And you may be using a range of vegetables and other fruits and proteins and collagen and all kinds of things that you people often put in a green juice or a smoothie, and that's balancing it out. So you may say, that's a crock. I drink green juice. I don't feel bad. Exactly. That's my point, right? So when we get behind the hype of something being dangerous or scary, we miss the big picture. But we don't want to ignore the fact that some people do have issues with this, and it's wise to understand how oxalate work. Because if you are one of those people and you're like, holy moly, I've been eating a ton of vegetables and I realize I'm getting rashes, I'm getting hives, I have digestive issues. And you wouldn't think that would come from vegetables because you think they're good for you. It may be an oxalate sensitivity, right? So it's great to have this information so you can be in contact and connection with your own body the food you put in it, and you can decide, is this something that's going to be a problem for me? You can know I'm a person with a history of kidney stones. I need to be careful. Give me a list of low oxalate vegetables because I love to eat vegetables. They're good for me, but I don't want to have kidney stones. I have never had a kidney stone, but I got to tell you, from what I've heard, they are excruciating and nothing about excruciating sounds fun to me. Okay. So we talked about what oxalates are, how we get them, who is sensitive to them, and that includes 
people with kidney stones, people with just habit sensitivity, and people who have certain genes that again, give them a, a genetic predisposition to not be able to handle oxalates well. And there is quite a list of these. And again, they're in the guide that I created for you, thebreastcancerrecoverycoach.com forward slash OX. And I'll put a link to that here where you're watching or listening to this podcast. So something that we need to think about as breast cancer survivors, I'm going to go back to, I had a squirrel moment there. Let's go back to talking about people on aromatase inhibitors. We've been through breast cancer treatment. We're in menopause and a big concern for us is bone health, osteopenia, osteoporosis. And when we talk about oxalates binding to calcium, then you have to think, okay, is that going to affect my bone health? And so calcium, obviously getting adequate intake of calcium is essential for bone health. But again, it isn't just about calcium. It's about how much calcium you can absorb. So looking at a balanced diet, as I just described, right? One that has a range of oxalate foods, or if you feel safer, or if you have a sensitivity, eliminating that category that may be under high oxalate foods, and making sure that your diet has a good amount of calcium coming from the food sources you eat. I'm not talking about supplements on this show at all. I'm only talking about food, but that you increase the calcium intake so that any binding that is happening is going to work in the way that nature intended, which you'll pee out those oxalates and they don't end up being being kidney stones, and you still have enough calcium to absorb it into your body, what do we have to think about when I talk about absorption? Gut health. God, so much stuff comes back to gut health. And I love that because gut health is, when I started studying Ayurveda, gut health is the root of all disease in Ayurveda. It all starts with the gut. And now here in Western science, we come back to going, hmm, it's not just what you put in you, but it's what your body is able to absorb. Okay. So when we talk about absorbent, we want to make sure that nutrients are available to absorb. And then we want to make sure that our gut is healthy enough to absorb them. Okay. So we've got to talk about gut health. What other things support gut health? Eliminating processed foods, eliminating lots of refined carbohydrates, right? Exercise, good sleep. It's the whole picture. So when you feel like you don't have good gut health, we don't want to go right to, oh my gosh, I've been eating more vegetables. It's probably an oxalate sensitivity. Do you really have a healthy gut? Is your body able to absorb it? Could it be a, a dance? Because a lot of these things, and the deeper I go into nutrition, and I mean deep, like into mineral balances in my body, the more I realize that it's just an incredible dance of balancing things between our genetic predispositions, our lifestyle, our environmental influences, the nutrition we take in. Sometimes, depending on where you're at, like again, I'll use myself for an example. If you're in an active cancering process, you have to pay more attention to this fine dance of balance when it comes to nutrition and lifestyle. When you're just looking at overall being healthy, you don't have to be so focused on the details of it, but you want to be aware of good food combining basically is what this is, which is another beautiful concept in Ayurveda is food combining. So we're eating dark green leafy vegetables. They give us calcium and oxalates, and we're going to give those a boost with other foods that also have high calcium content. And that way we can protect ourselves from oxalates trying to bind to calcium and draw it out of our bones, right? We don't want that to happen. 
So we want to seek balance before elimination, right? Elimination of foods that could potentially be very beneficial for us. So I talked about how you could reduce oxalates through boiling when I was speaking about spinach. So know that boiling is a really good way to cook your vegetables and release oxalates because you've got a medium, you've got water, and the water can draw those oxalates out. If you're steaming a vegetable, then you have the steam, so it's going to reduce the oxalates a little bit, but it's not sitting in the water where the water can actually extract those oxalates. And I know some of you out there who are my food fanatics are going to be like, that's going to reduce vitamin C levels. That's going to reduce vitamin content. It doesn't have to be cooked to death, right? You get the water to a boil, you throw your veggies in there, and you cook them to a nice tenderness, take them out and discard the water and play with it, right? But if we're concerned about oxalate content, boiling can reduce oxalate contents in different foods and a variety of foods anywhere from 30 to 87%. That's tremendous, right? It's a wide range of decreasing oxalates, but again, there's a wide range of oxalates in foods. So I put a link actually to a study that talks about the different cooking methods for foods when we're dealing with oxalates. So you've got boiling to help, you've got steaming to help, and you've got rinsing foods. So rinsing foods repeatedly, especially those that are really high in oxalates like spinach, rhubarb, beet greens, Doing this process of draining and boiling and rinsing with fresh water can also help to reduce oxalates. And another trick, which is also a wonderful benefit for our bodies overall, and we all need it, is good hydration. So when you drink plenty of water, clean, good filtered water throughout the day, you help to dilute your urine and you reduce your risk of kidney stones. All right, so I hope that that gives you a better understanding. The next time you see someone throw up the oxalate red flag, you don't have to panic. And download the guide, thebreastcancerrecoverycoach.com forward slash OX to get more information. And there's just a couple, like I gave you examples, I don't know, I think maybe it was four or five different meal plans. So when you think about eating vegetables, try not to be scared. Try to know that they really are good for you and there are ways to manage them if they affect your body and you're sensitive to them. And there are ways to manage the consumption of lots of delicious fresh fruits and vegetables so that they support your health instead of undermining your health. But more importantly than all this, before you have to start worrying about the nitty gritty of an oxalate or the mineral content in a half a cup of spinach, First, you got to start eating a half a cup of spinach on a regular basis, right? So the recommended intake for a beautiful, healthy, metabolically supportive diet is nine up to 15 servings, nine to 12 or nine to 15 servings. Serving of a vegetable or fruit is typically a half a cup. So nine to 15 servings a day, a day, people. So let's focus on getting to that first. And if you want to get to that by using low oxalate vegetables, fantastic, right? And then you reduce your, even a chance of this being irritating to your stomach. So first we focus on getting the foundations in place. Are you eating a healthy diet? Do you consume on a consistent basis, nine to 15 servings of vegetables a day? If not, we've got other things 
that probably are more important to work on than thinking about cutting foods out of your diet because they might have oxalates in them, right? So download the guide to get more information. I put links to the studies and to oxalate.org, which again is a fascinating list of oxalate-containing foods. And I hope that helps you feel a little better about consuming vegetables. And just to remember overall, when you see things out in the internet world, people need to get your attention some way. And so I'm not saying people are being devious or anything like that. They're using something to get people's attention because they need your attention so they can sell you maybe a really supportive program or bring you in or whatever it may be. I like to think that people are doing things with only integrity and the best of intentions and saying, hey, I have a program that can really help people. I believe that. But overall, there are other people who take advantage and they use things and hype them up to try to scare us. So let's try to take a step back, look at the overall big picture of what things really are, and maybe not take everything at face value because there's a lot of benefits in having a whole healthy food diet. All right. If you have questions, you can ask me. You can DM me as the Breast Cancer Recovery Coach on Facebook or Instagram. You can come and join my free group, the Breast Cancer Recovery Group on Facebook, or you can work with me personally through my metabolic health coaching programs. This is brand new and I'm super excited about it. You can get all the information on those at the breastcancerrecoverycoach.com forward slash health or down below where you're watching or listening to this podcast. There's a link to click to it or join my Better Than Before Breast Cancer membership where we work on supporting all aspects all aspects of your wellness, your whole terrain, mental, emotional, environmental, nutritional, all the things. Because just like we can't take one piece out of food and then judge that food, we can't take one thing out of our life and think that that's going to change everything for us. We're a whole picture and we work together. So we need to support our body like the amazing community it is right? A community of tissues working together to create our optimal state of health. All right, friends. I hope that helps you and I will talk to you again soon. Until then, take care and eat your veggies. Before your heart is full and wanting more, your future's at the door. Give it all you got, no hesitating. You've been waiting all your life. This is your moment.